Welcome to the third season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. This ministry is here to teach you Bible truth. Teaching truth allows you to grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. I sometimes read entire books in the Bible so you can know the story, not just the scripture. I also teach a series about a certain subject, so I want you to invite family and friends. Get your Bibles, grab a pen and paper so you can take notes. Now sit back, relax, and learn Bible truth. Good day, saints. Today is Sunday, October the 9th of the year 2022. I am the founder, host, and teacher of Learning Bible Truth Ministries, your one and only Dr. Kamala D. Now, we will be completing uh, chapter 3 of the Epistle to the Colossians. Chapter 3, we will be completing today. I am using or shall I say reading from the New King James Version today. Unless I say otherwise, saints, I will be using the New King James Version. If I switch to another version just to read a scripture, I'll let you guys know. So with that said, let's get this truth on the road. I hope you are in Colossians chapter 3 and beginning at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, a better translation, uh, replacing the word if, reads like this. Since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. That is the closest to the original text, written in Greek. And when Paul says you were raised, now this verb actually means to be co-resurrected, okay, to be co-resurrected because of their union with Christ at the moment of their conversion, believers spiritually go through the same death, burial, and resurrection that Christ experienced. That's what we go through. That's when we go through water baptism. It is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So the Apostle Paul is reminding the Colossians of that. They are now alive with him and able to understand spiritual truths, uh, spiritual realities, blessings, and, and the will of God. Now, these uh, things you can also read when... Um, Paul wrote uh, the epistle to uh, the Ephesians in Ephesus uh, at chapter one, beginning at verse three. Now, these are the privileges and the riches of, of the heavenly kingdom, all of which are at our disposal. Paul calls them things above. Now, when he says seated at the right hand of God or sitting at the right hand of God, this is the position of honor and majesty. For our Lord Christ Jesus. He is now Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ anymore. This is his exalted position as the exalted Son of God. Now, that exaltation makes him the the fountain of blessings for his people. And verses two and three reads Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse three says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when the apostle Paul says you died, this verb's tense indicates that a death occurred in the past because he said you died. Now, in this case, at the death of of Jesus Christ, uh, where believers were united with him, their penalty of sin was paid. It was paid in full. And they, and when I say they, I'm talking about us too. So let me say, so we rose with him in new life through water baptism, saints. We, you got to remember, water baptism is symbolic to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says hidden with Christ in God, 
Now, this expression has a threefold meaning. Number one, being believers have a common spiritual life with the father and the son. You can also cross reference this with first Corinthians uh, chapter six, verse 17 and second Peter chapter one, verse four. And number two, the world cannot understand the full import of the believer's new life. You can cross-reference this in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, First um, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And number three, believers are eternally secured. We are protected from all spiritual enemies and have access to all God's blessings. You can cross-reference this with uh by reading John chapter 10 verse 28 Romans chapter 8 verse 31 through 39 Hebrews my favorite book of the Bible chapter 7 verse 25 and 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 Now verse 4 says when Christ who is our life appears then you also will appear with him in glory Now when the apostle Paul says when Christ appears He is talking about at Christ's second coming. Verse five says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Then the apostle Paul starts listing the members. He's not talking about killing your your fellow sisters and brothers in Christ. He's not talking about put to death your members in the congregation. He's talking about your sin. And he starts to list them. He says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, when the Apostle Paul says put to death, this refers to a conscious effort to slay the remaining sin in our flesh. We have to put this to death, saints. You can also read um, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, 1 John 2, 14. Now, fornication, also translated immortality, it refers to any form of sexual immorality, okay, any type of sexual sin. And uh, you can read First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, as it relates to this. Now, most people don't like to hear this, but you have to remember why Paul is telling them this. It's because Gnosticism had entered into the congregation, trying to convert these people over to Gnosticism, which says anything that God Jehovah tells you not to do, you need to do it so that you can be spiritually closer to God. Oh yeah. And so Paul was reminding them that you were born again and you need to put to death these members because these people were doing everything under the sun that's contrary to the word of God. Or shall I say they were doing everything under the sun that was not holy. Okay, so when Paul says uncleanness, this is also translated impurity. This term goes beyond sexual sin. It, it, it's associated with evil thoughts and intentions as well, intentions behind that sin as well. You can read Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. I'm hoping you are writing these cross references down. These are scriptures that I studied. And um, I, to, to shorten this episode, I didn't want to read all of these because as you can see, uh, we have a lot of cross-reference scriptures. So Matthew 5, 28, Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 22, and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7. So when Paul says passion and evil desire, it's similar terms that refer to sexual lust. Now, passion is the physical side of that sin. And evil desire is the mental side. And you can also read James chapter 1, verse 15. Now, covetousness, my Lord, you, you look, you would be shocked that there are more people involved in covetousness uh, than not. Uh, it, it refers to greed and it literally means in the Greek to have more. These are uh, people that just want more and more. They can never get enough. You know, it is the, uh, the desire to gain more and especially of, of, of things that are forbidden. 
Um, you can read Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, and James 4 and 2. And covetousness also involves uh, wanting what someone else has, not just uh, to duplicate what they have. You want theirs. You don't want them with it. You want it. And that's why we should not covet thy neighbor's wife or thy neighbor's husband or thy neighbor's things. Paul is saying that these things should be put to death. Now, covetousness is also a form of idolatry. Now, when people engage in either greed or, or, or sexual immorality, the apostle Paul has, has cataloged this. They, you know, they follow their desires rather than God's will for them. In essence, worshiping themselves, which is a form of idolatry. They worship people. They worship money. They worship things, especially things of the world, which is why um, the Bible always tells us. And I'm talking about from Jesus to all of his apostles for us not to be conformed to this world because the world worship idols. The world is heavily involved in idolatry and Gnosticism. These Gnostics that had infiltrated the church at Colossae were also trying to get them to worship things, not God, worship things such as angels and, and money and, and sexual immorality. Now verse six says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Mm, this is heavy here. Now the wrath of God, um, it, 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 you got to remember that is God's punishment. That is God's judgment that is coming upon the sons of disobedience against their sins. Now the sons of disobedience is also an alias for the sons of Satan, the sons of the devil. Yeah, that, that's an alias for that. Now, this expression uh, designates unbelievers as bearing the very nature and character of disobedient, being rebellious and, and engaging in any type of sin. They all love it. And these Gnostics were trying to get the uh, saints at Colossae or in Colossae to um, engage in these unholy things. And verse seven says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Oh, verse seven is so important because that applies to us as well. You once walked or we once walked when we lived in them. I don't know about y'all, but I was born in sin and shaping and iniquity. And I used to be a hellion. Okay. Until I met Jesus until I was born again. So when Paul says in which you once walked before their conversion, the apostle Paul is reminding them that these were things they used to do. And don't let anyone drag you back to your sinful lifestyle. You can also cross-reference this with Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five and Titus chapter three, verses three through four. Verse eight says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Oh my God. How hard is it for us to do that today as Christians? When Paul says put off, this is a Greek word used for taking off clothes you can also cross-reference this in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Like one who, it's like one who removes his dirty clothes, you know, at the end of the day and then put it in a washer and wash it. Now, believers, Paul says, you must, this is not an option, you must discard the filthy garments of their old sinful lifestyle. We must do that, saints. We have to put off these things. Anger, anger is deep. You know, it, it, it's, it's uh, in reference to having bitterness in your heart. Remember, the Bible says, above all, guard your heart because out of it flows the issues of life. You have to make sure you are not harboring any bitterness in your heart. Um, any anger towards anyone in your heart. That's why it's important to forgive. It doesn't matter what that person has done. Forgiveness is for you. It's not for them. No, 
It is definitely not for them. It is for you so that you can have peace in your heart. Now, when um, the Apostle Paul talks about putting away wrath, now wrath and anger are similar. You know, it's not uh, exactly the same, but it they are similar. Now, unlike God's uh, wrath that's coming upon the sons of disobedience, this wrath, the Apostle Paul is talking about um, a sudden outburst of sinful anger. You know how someone can tick you off and you snap and just start cursing them out? No, Paul is talking about, look, we need to put away that wrath. Okay, like the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedient or, or the sons of, of the devil and the devil and his angels. It's going to come all of a sudden. So Paul is talking about, look, you need to put away that anger and, 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 and malice that's in your heart. Talking about verse eight from the Greek term. Malice is from the Greek term that that denotes general moral evil. Here, it refers to the damage caused by evil speech, our words. And you can uh, read about that or cross-reference this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Now, blasphemy is another thing. Blasphemy, it, it, it normally is a translation of um, a word that refers to God, blaspheming God. But here in this text, uh, since it refers to people, the, the correct translation would probably be slander. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you need to put away slander of people. Okay, don't slander anyone. However, it is to blaspheme God if you slander others. You can also read James chapter 3 verse 9, Matthew chapter 5 verse 22, and James chapter 3 verse 10. And verse 9 says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, you do know when the apostle Paul told them, do not lie to one another. It's a reason he's saying these things because the Gnostics was having them deceive their sisters and brothers. Excuse me, saints. I'm sorry. I bumped the mic. I thought I had, I had moved uh, further away or further enough away so that I won't hit it, but I just crossed my leg and by God, I guess I lifted too high because it hit the mic. So Paul says for us to put off these things, uh-huh. We have to put off the old things that we used to do. Now, these words are, are the basis for the command of verse eight, because the old man died in Christ. Remember this, if we are born again, our old man died in Christ and the new man lives in Christ. Now, this is the essence of the new creation, okay, of us being born again, or as some say, regeneration, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now, believers, we have to put off the remaining sinful nature or the remaining sinful deeds of our flesh. We have to do this continually. It's not hard if you're born again and you know the word of God. That's why we have to continue to renew our mind with the word of God, not the word or the opinions of your, your friends, especially your unsaved friends. I have unsaved, some unsaved friends. I don't pay them no mind. I don't judge them. I just pray for them, um, behind closed doors that, um, they, uh, that I in some way lead them to Christ so that they may be born again. But they, they are very nice. Some of them are very nice, very sweet, but they're not born again. That's clear. To me, they, they really are not. And just because someone is nice and have a good heart does not mean they are saved. You have to literally be born again of the word of God. Yes. And you have to truly believe that Christ died for your sins. And on the third day, he rose again. That is how someone is born again. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is literally how you are born again. And then that seal of the Holy Spirit is placed in your heart and you should feel a transformation if you sincerely accepted Christ. So the apostle Paul here is reminding them of their rebirth. Yeah, he's reminded, look, you need to put off any leftover sins in your flesh. You need to put that, uh, put that off. You know, you need to take that filthy, dirty rag off. And he reminded them that that, that is their old nature. 
That is their old man. And you have to remember the old man comes from Adam. Our sinful flesh. We are born in sin. We are shaping in iniquity. No one is born saved. And I think I need to say that again. No one is born saved. Because of Adam, we are all born in sin. And because of Adam, we have to be born again in Christ. Anyone outside of Christ is not born again. And anyone outside of Christ is not saved. I don't care what religion you hook yourself up with like these Gnostics. And um, not only Gnosticism, but legalism and, and, and these Judaizers were bringing legal, uh, legalism. And also Hinduism had entered the church and tried to bring in legalism. Yes, trying to get them to follow some rituals and follow uh, certain laws of Moses and, and stick to a strict Jewish diet or a Hindu diet in order for them to be reconciled to God. I mean, this is unbelievable food that perishes when you eat it. It doesn't stay with you. So how can that reconcile you to God? And it perishes when you eat it. Unbelievable. Verse 10 saints and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. My Lord renewed. You can read about that in Romans 12 too. And 2 Corinthians 3.18, this Greek verb contains a sense of contrast with the former reality. It describes a new quality of life that never before existed. That's why when we are born again, we ought to become a new creation. Romans 12.2, Ephesians 4.22, write these down so that you can read them and study them later, saints. Now, just like a baby is born uh, um, complete but immature, the new man is complete, us being born again. But we have the capacity to grow and we can only grow by studying God's word. Yes. By studying God's word. That's why the Bible says, and it, it comes from the apostle Paul. We have to renew our minds by the word of God. Uh-huh. And, and, and the apostle Paul talks about knowledge. Now, thorough knowledge. Okay. Without which there can be no spiritual growth or renewal. The apostle Paul is trying to explain this to them. You have to remember that these Gnostics believed that knowledge only um, came to a certain group of people uh, in reference to uh, these Gnostics that had infiltrated the church in Colossae. It came to a group of women and they shared it. And, and remember, the Apostle Paul wrote this to tell them, no, all knowledge come from Christ. And so I'm sharing that with you. All knowledge comes from Christ. It's not coming from nobody else. Uh -uh. It's not coming from a man named um, Muhammad Ibn Abdullah. It's not coming from that. It's not coming from a man named Elijah Muhammad. Uh -uh. It's not coming from a man named W. Farad Muhammad. It's not coming from a man named Buddha. No, the Dalai Lama. It's coming from Christ. You have to remember all of these that I just mentioned are religions created by a man trying to establish their own righteousness. All knowledge comes from Christ. Jesus said, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the father except by me. Now for Christ to say that, that shuts down all religion. No man comes to the father except through me. And remember Christ came to offer us salvation, not religion. We don't need another religion as, a, as it stands today. It's about 10,000 of them going on. I, we can create a, a maybe 500, you know, tomorrow. It'll be accepted by the world because you have to remember the Bible says the world doesn't even acknowledge God. When they say God, they saying it in vain. Now, when the apostle Paul says the image of him who created him, now, it is God's plan that believers become progressively more like Christ Jesus, okay, or, or more like the man Jesus, the Christ. Now, the one who made them, um, you can uh, cross-reference this with Romans chapter 8, verse 29, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, and 1 John 3, 2. Verse 11 says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, your version may say Jew nor Greek, 
circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, let me break uh, um, verse 11 down to you. Greek is anyone who is not a Jew. Okay. Anyone who is not a Jew. Now the Jews are descendants of Abraham through Isaac. Scythians are an ancient nomadic and, and warlike people that invaded the fertile crescent in the seventh century BC. Now, they were noted for their extreme bad behavior. They were the most hated and feared of all the so-called barbarians. You know how Americans look down on the poor? Well, that's how the barbarians looked down on the Scythians, but they were, were, were savage people. They were some very violent people. And um, when the apostle Paul said, says in verse 11, uh, there is neither a Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He was saying that all of these people who converted over to Christ, who are born again, we are all one in Christ. That's why he's saying, you know, we don't look down on the Scythians anymore. We don't look down on the barbarians anymore. Because we are all one in Christ. None is above the other. The Jews are no longer above anyone else because the Jews originally were God's chosen people. I don't care. You can argue all day about that, but they were. The Old Testament, that they were. They were God's chosen people. But you have to remember God's ultimate plan was to bring every ethnicity together as one under Christ Jesus. Yes, under the Messiah. So God's ultimate plan is 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 on the playing field right now. Right, right now as I speak. So he says Christ is in all and in uh Christ is all and in all in verse 11 because Jesus Christ is the savior of all believers. Now I want you to remember I just said he is the savior of all believers. He is the savior of the world. But in order for you to be saved, you have to believe on the finished works of Christ. Yes, there's no such thing as the doctrine of inclusion. Christ died for, for all mankind, which is true, but you don't have to believe in him. You don't have to accept him. You can worship and do whatever you want because Christ died for everyone. No, that's not how that go. The devil is slick, but he ain't that slick. Don't y'all fall for that. Please don't fall for that. That's where the doctrine... The doctrine of inclusion comes in at the doctrine of inclusion teaches that because Christ died for everyone, his blood is enough for everyone. You don't have to confess him. Okay. Well then how do you explain Romans 10, nine, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. How do you explain that? How do you explain John three sixteen seventeen 17 and 18 that God so loved the world? that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but, to, but through him, the world shall be saved in verse 18. And I'm paraphrasing through here. And those who don't believe are condemned already. So the doctrine of inclusion was shut down by just those scriptures. And there's about a hundred more I can share. So don't y'all fall for the okie doke. Okay, saints. Don't fall for the okie doke. So when Paul says slave nor free, now there were some social barriers going on in uh, the church at Colossae because all of these different types of people that I just mentioned had converted over to Christianity. They were born again. And Paul says, no, we are all one in Christ. There ain't no more slave nor free. You treat your slave or, or uh, you are now that slave's employer. You have to treat them fairly. And that you have to treat them like a brother or a sister in Christ. We are all one in Christ. No human being is above another. So Christ is all and in all. So I think this is self-explanatory when Paul says Christ is all and in all because Jesus Christ is the savior of all believers. However, he is also the savior of the world. But you must, you got to be born again in order to get in on this Christ is all and in all. Okay. Verse 12 says, therefore, as the elect of God, 
holy and beloved. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering. Now, let me explain as the elect of God what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Now, this designates true Christians as those who who have been chosen by God. Because remember, I've said this before in the past, those of you who have been following my teachings for year, uh, the past three years, that God searches the heart of man. Anyone who is truly, sincerely seeking God, really seeking him, he's going to lead you to Christ. That is who the elect are. Those whom God has chosen as a result of finding that they had a sincere heart for him. He will send someone in your path to share the gospel with you. Remember Peter, the angel set up that meeting between uh, Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius was a nice man. He was a rich man. He was a generous man who gave alms to the poor Jews and not just the Jews. He gave uh, gifts because alms are gifts to many, many people who were poor or less fortunate. He also prayed daily to God. But here's the thing. Romans 10, 9 came into play. He didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know he needed Christ in order to have the forgiveness of sins. He didn't know he needed Christ so that he can be born again and be reconciled to God. And if you can remember, an angel came to Cornelius and said that your prayer has have come up for alms to God. God heard your prayer. However, send for a man named Peter. Why? Because Cornelius, as nice as he was, you can't be saved without Christ. You can't. So God arranged that meeting, had his angels set that up. And he, he appeared to um, Peter in a dream because Peter still had some prejudice in him. Uh-huh. Peter was still staying away from, from uh, Gentiles. But then remember when, when it finally dawned on Peter, Peter said, now I perceive God is no respecter of person. Well, how did Peter just, just come to that revelation? The apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. However, the apostle Paul was also preaching Christ to Jews because Paul was a Jew himself. Peter was an apostle to the Jews, but he could also share with the Gentiles, but he wasn't. You cannot allow your personal beliefs to interfere with the gospel. You have to share the gospel saints. That's the great commission. You have to share the gospel. So the elect is uh, are the people that God chose like Cornelius. He searched their hearts at, because God knows the heart of every man. If you round here uh, faking and shaking and, and pretending God is skipping past you. If you are sincere, he will reveal his son to you. Okay. And, um, this is important here when the apostle Paul says, tend the mercies in verse 12. Now this may also be, um, rendered as heart of compassion. Now we have to remember, this is how we are supposed to grow. We have to grow to, to have mercy towards people. We have to grow to have kindness towards people, towards everyone. We should not be searching someone out to, to determine whether or not they are worthy for us to do something for them. Everyone is worthy. Yeah, everyone is worthy. Humility. If Christ had stopped to, to see if we were worthy, not one person will be saved because none of us are worthy. None of us. It was by God's grace we have been saved. Not of our works. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. And we should never forget that. So we need to also uh, express kindness, humility. Humility involves putting others before yourself. Yes, putting others before yourself and meekness. Remember, uh, the apostle James says that if a brother or sister is uh, caught in a fault, or caught really in a sin. I got a paraphrase here so you can understand what I'm saying. Or if a brother or sister falls, look, those who are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That is the spirit of gentleness and kindness and, and, and the willingness to suffer uh, in the place of that individual. Yes, 
That's what that, that's what meekness stand for. Long suffering simply means patience. We have to have patience, Lord. Lord have mercy. We have to have patience without patience. I don't, Christ would never have died on that cross. Long suffering Christ had in order to redeem mankind. So if Christ went through what he went through and only he could have done it because we could not have done what Christ did. Why can't we show some long suffering, some meekness, some mercy and kindness and, and humility towards people today? Why can't we do it? If you think about what Christ did, I have to stop myself sometime because I'll start bawling in here like a newborn baby smacked on his butt by the doctor as soon as he come out of his mother's womb. I start crying when I think about what Christ did for me. Oh, yes. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So if we have any beef with our fellow Christians and, and, and uh, which are sisters and brothers in Christ, we need to forgive them. We need to come and reach a peaceful resolve and seal it with a hug and a Christian kiss. I forgive you no matter what you have done. I forgive you. Uh-huh. As Christ forgave us. Y'all know if we really, really, really had a screen up and go all the way back to when we were born. And as we were being, as we were raised up, some things we have done to people in front of their faces and behind their backs. My Lord, my Lord, Christ forgave you. Uh-huh. So I don't care what, what your, your sister or brother in Christ said about you. You know what? Forgive them, but go to them and make amends and let them know, you know, this is what I know to be true. Um, I heard it myself, but I, I don't know why you feel this way, but I forgive you. But, um, if there's anything you want to say to me, if there's anything that is bothering you about me, please let me know so that we can resolve it as sisters and brothers in Christ. Uh-huh. That is what we need to do as Christians. So Paul was saying, look, if you have a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do the same. Verse 14 says, but above all these things, put on love because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers everything we just talked about, which is the bond of perfection. Everything we do, we must do in love. That is the bond of perfection. Now, the bond of perfection, it's it, it, a better rendering is perfect bond of unity. That is what a better translation is. Supernatural love, you know, poured into the hearts of believers is the adhesive of the church. Romans 5, verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, verse 15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of God. Now, the Greek word for peace here refers both to the call of God to salvation and a consequent peace with him and to the attitude of rest or security like in Philippians 4, 7. Now, believers have this type of peace because of the eternal peace found in Christ who is the seal as the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. My Lord, my Lord. Now, word of Christ this is a holy inspired scripture, the word of revelation he brought into the world. Now dwell in you richly. Now dwell simply means to live in or to be at home and richly may, you know, may be more fully rendered abundantly or extravagantly. Now scripture should, uh, permit every aspect of the believer's life and control every thought, word, and deed. You can read that all the way back in Psalms 119.11, all the way down to the New Testament or up to the New Testament, Matthew 13, verse 9, Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 
15. Now, verse 17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him, him who Jesus now do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This simply means to act consistently with who he is and what he wants us to do. Okay. And that's what a lot of Christians overlook today. We just go about life daily and forget that we are supposed to be representing Christ. Uh-huh. We, we truly forget that we are supposed to be representing Christ. Now, verse 18, the apostle Paul goes into, um, relationships and, uh, marriages and giving advice on, the structure in a marriage. He says, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Now love in verse 19, this is a call for the highest form of love, which is basically talking about you have to be selfless. Uh huh. And you need to put your, um, the needs of your husband, wives. I know it's hard to hear, but this is the order in the marriage that God said it. it look, it's, it has nothing to do with your salvation. This is how you keep peace in the house. Because when it says wives submit to your husbands, it's because the husband should be the provider and the protector of the family. So wives need to stop trying to rule over their husbands because the husband is the protector and the provider. Now in this day and age, and I'm sure most of you will agree with me. You can still send me emails this day and age. We have some women who are the breadwinner in the family. They are the providers. We have husbands that are stay at home husbands that are taking care of the kids because the wife career has taken off and they made a decision as a couple to allow the wife to go to work and make the money and provide for the family. Now, as long as this is an agreement between the couple, that's fine. And I'm telling you the Holy Spirit speaking to me now, that's fine because as long as you are in agreement is the key. Yeah, there should be no fights between you and your husband. Your husband, I don't want to work because the Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. Now, this is a man who is intentionally not working. It's not in a, he, he, his wife is not in agreement with him. He said, I ain't working. You're going to take care of me. You're going to take care of the kids and me. I ain't working. No, you shouldn't be married to that non-believer anyway. Because for him to be that way, it tells me he's a non-believer. But the husband is supposed to be the provider and the protector of the house. Hus uh, men are naturally stronger than women. And no one can dispute that. Men are physically naturally stronger than women. They are the protector of the family. So husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Oh my God. And the word bitter. Uh, this word in the Greek, it's a verb and it's better translated. Stop being bitter. So, excuse me. So when it says, so when the apostle Paul says in the new King James version, husband loves your wives and do not be bitter towards them. It means stop being bitter or do not have the habit of being bitter. Husbands must not be harsh or angrily resentful towards their wives. Remember, the Apostle Paul also says that it, it, to the Corinthian church, and, and that's for us as well, and also to the Colossians, that you should men should love their wives like Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. Christ provided for the church. Uh, Christ gave peace to the church. Uh-huh. Christ loved the church so much that he died for the church. So if you are married to someone who is putting their car that they are in love with ab above uh, your needs, uh, I'm sorry, it, you chose him. And, and guess what? It's okay for you to divorce him. Divorcing someone doesn't take away your salvation. Uh-uh. And then as it relates to children in verse 20, the apostle Paul says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. 
Now, children, the Greek word is tekna, T-E-K-N-A, a general term for children, not limited to a specific age group. It's just the children. In America, at the age of 17, you are considered to be an adult. Um, I don't know about other countries. It refers to any child still living in the home and under their parental guidance. You still living in the homes, you are still under your parental guidance. Your, your, your mother and father are paying the bills. They are paying for your clothing. They are paying for a roof to be over your head, food and water, and, and for you to go to school. Yeah, you, you still must obey your parents. Now, the word obey. Now, the present tense of the imperative demands a continuance obedience. Okay, it is continuance. It's not the same as a wife uh, submitting to a husband. When we say obey, children need to be continually under the obedience of their parents or under the guidance of their parents. Your parents are not supposed to lead you wrong. Now, when the apostle Paul says in all things, the only limit on a child's obedience is when parents demand something contrary to God's word. Then if the child know right from wrong and the child has gotten to know who Christ is and, and, and is growing up in the word, you do not listen to nobody telling you to do something contrary to the word of God. Remember the apostles when the governing authorities, the Roman authorities were telling them not to uh, preach Christ anymore, not to share Christ. The uh, apostle Peter told them straight up, we ought to obey God rather than man. And that, that applies to us as well. We ought to obey God rather than man. Cause the moment the government starts saying that we can't say Christ and we can't say Jesus anymore, then you're going to see another side of me willing to die for Christ. Now I, I was listening to one of my favorite gospel singers. One of the few that can make me cry. She was being interviewed. It's uh Vicki Winings. Oh my God. Her music her, 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 her beautiful voice makes me cry every time when I hear that voice and singing to, to Christ and singing the word of God. It's just beautiful. She said that when she signed with a record company, they tried to tell her not to use the name Jesus <laughs> and, and just told her to say God or, or just say him. And she said she told them, well, that him has a name. His name is Jesus. That's how Christians supposed to stand. Take a stand. No, you're not going to tell me not to say Jesus. Not, not me. Uh-uh. I'll be homeless and on the streets before I give up uh, Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you deny me, I will deny you before the Father. I'm not denying Christ in any way, shape, or form. Now, I may not talk about uh, religion or salvation at work unless someone asks me, or unless I'm engaged in a conversation with another Christian. Other than that, my mouth is closed because I don't have to share Christ at that time. It's a, it's a time and a place to, to do anything. And if someone comes to me and asks me something, I will, trust me, sincerely share uh, the truth with them as I know it. And I've had some people come to me and ask me, what faith am I? And I, and, and my response was, what you mean? What, what faith? Because the Bible says there's only one faith. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. And the strange look that that individual gave me told me this person wasn't saved. If anyone asks you, well, what faith are you? You need to ask them what, what, tell me what faith are you talking about? Because the Bible says there's only one faith, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Uh-huh. One God, one Lord and one faith. Don't forget one baptism. So I'm not sure what people getting all these things from. I know Satan set up all these different denominations and all these different religions. And it, it was designed to cause separation. It was designed to cause confusion. And the ultimate reason it was designed was to get you uh, away from Christ or to be confused about who Christ is. Well, you got people saying, well, who's telling the truth? Well, the Bible is. It doesn't matter what these people are saying. The Bible is the one that's telling you the truth. Uh-huh. So verse 20, the latter part of verse 20, when it says in all things, the only limit on a child's obedience is when parents demand something contrary to God's word 
from their children. Now, verse 21 says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now the word provoked, it, it's translated from the Greek as exasperate. Now this word has the connotation of not stirring up or irritating. So you should not stir up your child or irritate your child or discourage your child, or you can literally to be uh, truthful and not walk on eggshells is to not send your child into a deep state of depression or don't discourage your child. The idea of this term is to be without courage or spirit. You can hurt your child's spirit by, you know, irritating them or, or, uh, stirring them up. Okay. It is to be without courage. That's what, um, discourage mean or spirit. And, and that's a little bit more powerful than, than, uh, discourage. Now it has the sense of being listless or sullen or discouraged or despairing. Now parents can cause their children to lose heart by failing to discipline them lovingly and instruct them in the ways of the Lord with balance. That's what Paul is talking about. You, we have people, uh, I ask someone how their child doing, Oh, that little demon. Now here's the thing for those of you who are listening, who, who, who does this very thing. Oh, he's, Oh, he is a little demon. Oh, he is bad as hell. Well, don't be upset when you are, uh, when your child grows up and become, uh, a super successful criminal and is in and out of jail, getting kicked in and out of school. I want you to think back to the words you constantly spoke over that child. Words have power. Yes. Words have power, especially if the words you are saying to someone are received by that person, you know, kids, I, it doesn't matter if the parents are crackheads, bank robbers, they love their parents. And most of them listen to their parents. Children are like clay. When they come out of the womb, they start learning and absorbing. They're like sponges. I'm sorry, I hit the mic again. They're like sponges. They are absorbing everything around them. That energy that you bring around your child, trust me, they are absorbing it. So you have to be careful and choose your words wisely. Never refer to your child as a demon. You don't have to refer to them as an angel either, but you should always speak kind words to your children. You should always tell them they are human and that they can grow from, from their mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. And as soon as they are able to understand the difference between right and wrong, you need to lead them to Jesus because everyone has to be born again. No one is perfect. Everyone that comes into this world from the time Adam and Eve sinned against God was uh, are born in sin and the world shapes them in iniquity. They are not saved saints because they are a beautiful baby. They must be born again. And as soon as they are able to understand, like I said a few minutes ago, the difference between right and wrong, you need to lead them to the savior, not a savior, the one and only savior, because you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by leading your child to Christ. Everything to gain. Hallelujah. Look, amen. Verse 22 says, bond servants. This is another word for slaves. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart Fearing God, my Lord. Now, according to the flesh, now human inclination, that's what they're talking about. According to the flesh, your human side, I service. The apostle Paul is talking about, um, external service. It refers to working only when, when the master is watching, uh-huh. When your boss or your supervisor at work, when they see you, you are on your best behavior rather than recognizing that the Lord is always watching. And when your boss, your manager, your supervisor, your director is not there, you are chilling. You're not working at all. You're going all outside of the policies. You, you, you speak in languages and using words that you should not be using at work. And, and I have been guilty of that, but not really because I'm not going to do anything outside of my boss 
that I can't do in front of them. Yeah, that, that I know. See, I'm not one that's going to jump up and run when the boss come because I'm going to do anything you see me doing. I'm going to do when you're not there. Uh-huh. The same thing I do when, when you are present, I'm going to do when you are not there. And I'm also a leader and I, I try to encourage my, my, my staff. Look, I, I can give you so much rope, but there are some things you are being paid to do and you have an eight hour period to do it. I understand you have breaks, but you, I see you taking four and five breaks when we, we are paying you to take one. I mean, some take advantage of you because they, you know, they take advantage of your kindness for weakness and weakness. I don't have, I just want to treat people like human beings. That's all just treat them like human beings. So when Paul says like, uh, I service, he is talking about, you know, you need to do a good job when your boss is not there, not just when your boss is there trying to please your boss. That's referring to I service. Yeah, only when your boss is looking, you're going to do a good job. You're supposed to do a good job when your boss is not there. Absolutely. So Paul is is act, actually alluding to reward of the inheritance from the Lord. Okay, we need to do work uh, at the latter part of, tw- of, of verse 22. He says, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. See, God has a reward for everyone who does what's right. Absolutely. Everyone who does what's right. God is going to compensate us. Even if his earthly boss is what Paul was referring to in verse 22. And also in Revelation 20 verses 12 through 13, even if our earthly boss or master back in the day, they were called today, they are called employers does not compensate us fairly, which is in uh, verse 25. God deals with obedience and disobedience impartially. Okay, we need to understand that. You can read that in Acts 10, 34 and Galatians 6, 7. And the worst thing a Christian can do is to try to use their faith to justify them being disobedient to authority or their employer. Read Philemon uh, verse 18 or either Philemon. It's either pronounced Philemon or Philemon. Verse 18. Now let's close this out by reading verse 23, 24, and 25. Okay. Verse 23 says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Everything we do, we are doing for the Lord representing Christ. You're supposed to be a Christian, huh? It shouldn't be a secret that you are a Christian. You don't have to wear it on your forehead or your back or, or the front of your shirt. You don't have to have it all over you. But people should know that you are different, especially a non-believer. Yeah, people should know. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ, not your employer or not your supervisor, manager or director. We serve Christ and we are supposed to always do a good job because of Christ not because of your employer. Verse 25 says, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality, whether it is your employer, your supervisor, your manager, your director, or you. That's why you shouldn't get upset. If you know you are not doing the job right. And then you get a write up or you are terminated. You need to take that hit in stride. Or either apologize and throw yourself on the mercy of the court. (laughs) Let me read 25 again. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Saints, that's it. Oh man, I talked for an hour. My goodness. And I had a full day. I am so sorry I started late today. um, I had a full day today. And when I came home, I took a nap first and I I literally was wake, trying to wake up and shake it off. Uh, I started to not share this episode, but I said, "Uh uh-uh, if I can uh, keep my commitment to things that are not uh, spiritual and things that are not for God, I definitely can keep my commitment to share God's word. Hallelujah. So saints, I hope this day finds you and your family well. I hope you are getting something from this mini series. We will conclude it by um, 
finishing and completing chapter four next week. And then I will start sharing uh, a couple of episodes uh, from Dr. Frederick Casey Price, Sr., uh, from that epic series he started back in 1997 entitled Race, Religion, and Racism. In this series, or, or these couple of episodes that I am choosing to share, is him proving in the Bible that Jesus was not white. He wasn't no blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. And it's all in scripture. And I want you to remember this. I will never share anything on my platform that is not Bible truth. So with that said, saints, I want you to walk in love. Remember, be the best worker. If you are working in housekeeping at work, be the best housekeeper. Hallelujah. And watch how God rewards you openly. If you're the CEO, be the best CEO. Treat your employees with compassion, dignity, and respect and pay them a fair wage. Hallelujah. So saints, with that said, see you next week. Peace out. hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, you can contact us by emailing talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. If you would like to sow a seed in this growing ministry, you may access the front page on the podcast you are listening to and click on the support button. Or you can cash out the ministry at dollar sign Dr. Kamala D. That is at dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D, and donate any amount. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver, and so do we. So until next time, believers, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the word of man. We walk by faith and not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, serving you with Christ Jesus, our Lord, in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Peace out.